It's the Long Gospel Bible Study, Wednesday, October the 30th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. Uh, Last week's Long Gospel emphasized the, obviously, Reformation. But this week emphasizes All Saints Day, which will occur on this coming Friday. So I thought it would be an appropriate opportunity to find a passage that helps us understand what we mean by All Saints Day. And it's going to be Romans chapter 1. That's right, Romans chapter 1. And that's what we're going to be examining to help us understand about what we mean by All Saints Day. Because in the history of the church... All Saints Day has meant at least three different things. In fact, when you think about a saint, don't you normally think of someone who is in heaven who maybe have been martyred for the faith? That's the saint in the minds of a lot of people. So let's see if the Bible agrees with that. Remember, the goal of a long gospel program is to get you to think like God rather than thinking on your own. Because the old Adam never thinks properly, even when reading the scripture a lot of times. The new man does. And the more you're involved in Bible studies, the more you're involved in worship, the more you're involved in confirmation, catechism, teaching your children, Uh, the more clear the Bible becomes and the new man grasps the true meaning of many of the passages. So, let's start off with Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, now you know who Paul is. He used to be kind of Saul, and then on that uh, road to Damascus, had that frightening experience, a light from heaven, He became blind. He then believed Jesus Christ, where before he was persecuting the Christians for believing in Jesus Christ, he was baptized, and God decided to make him an apostle to the Gentiles, and that's what he became. So the Romans are definitely considered to be Gentiles, although a number of them were Christian in the sense that they had been attending the Passover in Jerusalem, etc., So, he's not talking to ignorant people, but he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, in the Greek, he uses the word that we would also use for slave. And a lot of translations like to change it to servant, because slave has some understandings that people don't like. You know, you're under duress, and uh, you're violent, People are violent towards you and this sort of thing. But we are slaves of Christ Jesus because we love him and he bought us with his blood. Called to be an apostle. That's very important phrase. He doesn't say Paul having decided to be an apostle. We'll get to that even more in a moment called to be an an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, that's God, promised beforehand 
through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, to show you how difficult it is to understand the Scriptures without a teacher, after these two disciples on the road to Emmaus knew that Jesus had died on the cross and then heard he had risen from the dead, they were still totally confused. Until Jesus met with them, they did not recognize him at first, and began to give them the greatest Bible study probably found in the Bible, where he went from Genesis probably through Malachi, showing that the crucifixion and the resurrection had been promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You cannot fully understand the New Testament without understanding the reason for the miracles, for the promises that are found in the New Testament apart from the Old Testament. Remember, it's the Old Testament that says he was pierced in hands and feet. Uh, In Isaiah, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you want an understanding of the crucifixion, just turn to Isaiah 53. Anyway, He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, when Paul is writing this, the New Testament had not been written. In fact, he's writing the New Testament. That's what Romans is. So we're only referring to the books of the Old Testament. And remember how to remember how many books in the Old Testament, how many books in the New Testament. You add up the word old, that's three letters, and testament, that's nine You put them side by side, and you get 39. That's how many books are in the Old Testament. How about New Testament? Same thing. You add up New, 3, and Testament, 9, only multiply it. What's 3 times 9? 27. That's how many books are in the New Testament. So at this point, he's referring to the Old Testament books, of the 39, and he indicates that everywhere in the Bible, in that Old Testament, it's about the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was descended from David. Remember the house of David. According to the flesh. You see, he didn't descend from David as the divine being he is. There he was begotten by the Father. But when we're talking about his incarnation in the flesh, that was through David. In fact, you can go all the way back. That was through Eve, as the promise is found in Genesis 3.15. And, verse 4, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So that's really important to remember. Who's the spirit of holiness? Well, that's none other than the Holy Spirit. And this spirit of holiness, he was part and parcel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which affirmed his deity And also was a completion of his saving work because he himself said that on the cross. It is finished. In fact, there are those who would consider this to be an early Christian creed. 
like we have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene, the Athanasian. But listen to this as a creedal statement. Declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So Paul, therefore, makes it very clear, yes, he was declared to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and that was by grace. Notice in the very first line of verse 1, he was called to be an apostle. He did not decide to become an apostle. He was called, and that was by the grace of God. And what's the grace of God? Grace of God is not some power source he gives you in order that you can comply with his obedience and therefore save yourself. No, it's God's attitude towards you. He's gracious towards you. He's given you what you do not deserve. Paul did not deserve to become an apostle to the Gentiles. He was murdering Christians. But he received this grace and apostleship, namely, he became the spokesperson for God to the Gentiles. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And the term nation there is kind of referring to Gentiles. So it's just not Israel, but Gentiles also. Now, you, you hear that, the obedience of faith. Well, I, I thought we weren't saved by obedience. No, we're not saved by the obedience of works. But we are saved through the obedience of faith. But even that faith, as you can see, is because you receive grace, and therefore faith is a gift. It, it kind of, I, I like using analogies, uh, it's kind of like a child. They hear something from their parents, and they have such a love for their parents, and that they have learned because the parents feed them, dress them, they have beds for them, etc., etc., that when the parents say, well, tomorrow we're going to go to McDonald's at 10 in the morning, a little child has no doubts about that. He may not sleep during the night waiting for it, but he'll be waking up the parents and saying, here's what you said. And so that's what we mean by obedience of faith, a trust in the promises of the father or the parents. And why? For the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, that word call is the same one, and we're looking here at verse 6, as is found in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Well, so also here, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This isn't your decision. I just can't understand how Christians think they can invite Christ into their heart. They're unbelievers. 
If he's not in their heart already, they're unbelievers. Why would an unbeliever ever want to invite Christ into their heart? If you ever had that desire, he's already in your heart. And so rather than say, please, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart, you say instead, thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart. Where was the invitation of Paul on the road to Damascus to Jesus? No. Now, Verse 7, we're going to spend some time on. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Interesting. Saints. Paul always has that word in the plural in all of his letters. You see... He just doesn't call the Roman saints. In a number of his epistles, that's letters to the churches, like Ephesians, he writes to the saints in Ephesus. Now, who are the saints? And here's where we've had some real problem. And part of it is because of All Saints Day. It never started as All Saints Day. It was around the 4th century that it began as All Martyrs' Day. So if you hadn't been martyred, you really weren't considered a saint at that time. A saint doesn't just mean those who are martyred. In fact, the, the word saint comes from the idea that this is an individual who is holy, comes from Santos in the Latin, and this is a person who is holy. Now, many people prior to the Reformation thought to be holy meant that you had to act holy, and therefore one of the ways that God would consider you to be holy is that you were martyred for the faith. But then, after some time, they had it understanding that a saint was any believer. And so that was All Saints Day. But then they had another celebration called All Souls Day. And that was on a different day than All Saints Day. What's the difference between All Souls Day and All Saints Day? Well, the difference was due to the theology of that day of purgatory. They believe that, yes, Jesus forgave your sins on the cross, but I tell you, when you did evil things here in the temporal world, there are consequences of that for which you need to pay. And if you haven't balanced out the consequences of your temporal sins, then you go to a place called purgatory. Now, there you are not yet a saint, but you are a Christian. Nobody who goes to purgatory does not end up going to heaven. That's the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, we don't agree with that, of course, because there's no purgatory. But when you think about that, they believe that, yes, although on the day of judgment... Those of us who are still living on earth will not have to go to purgatory, they teach. So I guess all of us should be 
if we believe that, praying that the day of judgment comes while we're still living on earth, then we will bypass purgatory. But all souls, these are people who are not yet considered saints. In fact, I believe now the recent pope who died has been declared a saint. But up to just recently, how do you declare someone to be a saint who's died and therefore you know is in heaven? Because you pray to that person who died, and if two miracles take place, healing miracles, for example, guess what? That person must be a saint because he heard your prayer and that person was healed. I mean, this is how ridiculous purgatory is that you're praying to people who've died rather than praying to Jesus Christ that the Bible says is the only mediator between God and man. So, supposedly, I don't know if the woman was in Brazil or something, she had cancer, and they prayed to the Pope who had died, and all of a sudden her cancer disappeared, they say. So they must have found another person whose illness disappeared. But you see, the devil not only has the power to have people become ill, uh, take a look at Job, he also has the power to heal someone. He'll do anything he can to get you to stop thinking that Jesus is the only mediator between man and God. Well, Mary is not. She's lying in a grave, her body, although her spirit is with Jesus, but she has no communication with people on the earth. Since Abraham doesn't, he says that in the Bible. So there's a lack of communication. Remember that parable Jesus had about the rich man who ended up in hell and the poor man Lazarus? He said, send somebody back to tell my brothers. And guess what? They've got the Old Testament books. They got Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe him, they won't even believe if somebody rises from the dead. So this has been a problem because of the history of All Saints Day. That first it was only for martyrs. Then it was expanded into All Souls Day, although that was a different date, to include all Christians many of whom were still in purgatory, and then All Saints Day would be only those who were in heaven. That's Roman Catholic theology. Lutheran theology, or biblical theology, Paul says this, to all those in Rome, to all those in Rome who are loved by God, and God loves those who trust in him. Now, he loves everyone, but love by God is a way of distinguishing between the believer and the unbeliever. So if you're a believer, you have been called to be saints. Remember that called? It's found in verse 1 again. Paul called to be an apostle. He didn't make the choice. So anytime you meet a Christian, you ask him, how do you know you're saved? And they say, well, I called Jesus and invited him into my heart. That is absolute heresy because you're taking away from Jesus the credit for you having been called. So 
for All Saints Day, guess who's a saint? Every Christian. Because at the moment you become a Christian, you receive a number of gifts. That is, promises from God. And the two main gifts that God decides, therefore, you are holy, is one gift to counter sins you have committed, and that's called the forgiveness of sins. But what's the gift God gives you to counter good works that you're failing to do? That's called the robe of righteousness. And that robe of righteousness is Christ's robe. Remember the prodigal son when he returned? He was coming back to manipulate the father, but the father had none of it. He met him in grace and put on him the best robe, which would be the father's robe. That's what happened to you. You are a saint, even though when you start reading Romans, the whole first section of Romans is revealing how sinful we are by Paul using God's judgment. It's really, really important to understand that saints are also sinners. In fact, we have kind of a, um, a Latin, similustus et peccator, at the same time just, at the same time sinner. Well, what's the percentage? It's 100% just, 100% sinner. In other words, I never can do any action at all with the right motivation by my old Adam. It can never happen. And I can never do any action at all without the proper motivation by my new man. So every now and then you hear people saying that you've got to have the right motivation. You don't have control over your motivation. You can have less of your motivation of the old Adam by being in a Bible study and and reject uh, the devil's temptation very quickly. But you can't get rid of that old Adam temptation I've often, and I've shared this about a thousand times on 22 years of law and gospel, going down the street and lady drops her groceries. So I knew, man, I want to help her. I stopped to help have her pick them up. But while I'm picking up her groceries and re-putting them in the bag, I'm looking down the street to see if any of my members are going by to notice what a wonderful pastor they have in Tom Baker. That's my old Adam. See, the old Adam always does everything. For what reason? Out of self-interest. My even going to church. I've got an old Adam motivation and a new man. The new man, boy, you just love to hear the word of God and be with God. The old Adam, well, I'll be going to heaven now because I'm a believer. You see how that self-interest just creeps in? And it's impossible to stop it. That's why the life of the Christian is always one of repentance. You can't get to a point where the old Adam doesn't need to repent. Because if you think that, you need to repent of that. So for All Saints Day, 
Remember, the worst sinner in your congregation, from a human point of view, if they're a believer in Christ, they are a saint. Because it's what God declares them to be that makes a difference. That's why on the day of judgment, it's not on the basis of the works that you have done on your own, whether you go to heaven or hell. Works make no difference at all in either. God has a new paradigm, and that's faith. Are you a believer? Guess what? You're on your way to heaven. Are you an unbeliever? Then you are not on your way to heaven. And that's why we, like Paul, need to be for the Gentiles in telling them and Jews that Jesus Christ is their Savior, their Messiah, who died for the sins and gets all the credit for our salvation. That's what All Saints Day is really about. On the next Law and Gospel, which is Rumination Thursday, we've got a pastor who's complaining about the harsh language that Luther used against the Pope and vice versa and said, no, that was wrong. He should apologize for that. We're going to take a look at that because, as you can probably guess by now, we don't agree with that person. So, Law and Gospel, Rumination Thursday, the next one with Wes Reimnitz, be with us. God bless. The Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.